to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about the tricks and strategies to aid faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Gina Lugin. I'm Director of Academic Programs here at ACHP, and today we will be discussing with Dr. Jessica Skelly about defining learner roles to optimize interprofessional education. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. Happy to be here. So let's start off by learning a little bit about you first. So tell us about your role, your practice, and then some of your involvement with student and resident learners. Sure. So like many pharmacists, I wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> so first off, I'm employed by Stanford University McWhorter School of Pharmacy, where there I'm obviously an educator and precept fourth-year pharmacy students on their clinical rotations. And my practice site is at Christ Health Center, where I'm an ambulatory care clinical pharmacist. And there I also serve as the residency program director for the PGY2 program in ambulatory care. Um, so I am the RPD. I also precept the PGY2 residents and occasional AMCARE experiences for PGY1 residents for one of our other local programs. And lastly, I serve as a preceptor for family medicine medical residents also um, because we have an embedded medical residency program in our practice that I'm adjunct faculty for. So a fair amount of teaching and precepting for student and resident learners for both pharmacy and medicine. That's wonderful. So you get to really see the learners in all different aspects and uh, parts of their training. So from students to residents, And then, you know, with your medical residents, you clearly have a strong interprofessional relationship and interact with different professions. Um, Can you dive into a little bit about that and how it's folded in your role as a preceptor and as a practitioner? Sure. So I feel very, very blessed to be at a practice site that has very collaborative relationships between the different professions. Um, We have always had medicine colleagues who really deeply value pharmacy and also value learning directly from pharmacy. They prefer at the residency program there for medicine, not to learn about pharmacy from a physician, (laughs) but they want to learn about that from a pharmacist. So even in noon conference series and things like that, they usually ask whenever they're able to, to have one of their pharmacy colleagues come in and talk about pharmacotherapy and different medication options for different disease states rather than teaching it to each other. So that that's been a great um, starting point for us. Uh, Part of my position description there is not only to serve as a clinician, but primarily as an educator for both our pharmacy and our medicine learners, as much as they value what I do for patient care. They value my teaching of the medical residents even more, um, which means that I always have that focus of not just helping patient care, but help facilitate, facilitating a really good interprofessional education. So really my responsibility there is not just to educate both groups with clinical knowledge and make sure that they know how to take care of patients, but also functional knowledge, which I think we forget to do sometimes. And what I mean by that is making sure that everyone on the team understands how to effectively utilize each other and work together. Because they're not always taught that in medical school and pharmacy school, or they're taught it from kind of a lecture perspective, but not really a hands-on application opportunity. So that's a big focus that we have is how do we enable and empower these medical residents and these developing clinicians and um, pharmacy practitioners to really effectively depend on and rely on and efficiently and effectively utilize each other. That's great. So that's really collaborative learning from the very beginning. It's awesome to hear that pharmacy has such a strong hand and that we're really 
um, helping educate the next generation, not only of pharmacists, but also physicians um, and vice versa. So I love the interprofessional model, and it sounds like there's also a lot of opportunity for layer learning. Um, you mentioned that you work with medical students and, and pharmacy students and also residents. So can you tell us a little bit about what are the, some challenges and opportunities of applying that model to the interprofessional setting? Absolutely. So one of the first challenges that we ran across was the lack of understanding that everyone had in each other's training, roles, responsibilities. And it was kind of comical, some of the situations that we kept running into because there were um, practitioners who were trying to use pharmacy students for things that maybe weren't necessarily within their skill set, you know, to do a physical exam or to help be present during a pap smear or something like that. And so trying to explain to some of the physicians and even the MAs who these learners are and what it is that they're here to do and how they can engage effectively with patient care um, and what they are expected to know at a baseline level versus what they need to actually learn as well. All of those things that were items that we essentially had to educate the entire team on and vice versa. I think there were assumptions that we had made about our medicine colleagues of what they did or didn't know, what education they did or didn't receive in medical school what they needed to get from us versus not. Um, And usually the best way to figure that out is to go to the source and actually ask each other those questions to make sure that you better understand each other. Um, The other thing that we ran into as far as challenges were um, the practitioners kind of having a lack of confidence in how to interact with each other initially. So I would kind of hover around the practice in the medical station and notice, you know, a pharmacy and a medicine student kind of standing in proximity to each other and kind of covertly glancing at each other, but not really talking to each other because they weren't sure, you know, who this other person was. <laughs> yeah, like, are they a safe person to ask questions to, or are they going to get judged for asking a question? And once you facilitate kind of that initial interaction and they start to get a grasp of, oh, like, this is who this person is on the team. And this is how not only they can help the patient, but how they can help me. Then they realize this is a safe space. You know, we can talk to each other and learn from each other and they become really engaged and collaborative with each other. So I would say those were probably two of the big challenges that we ran into. And then I think you asked about opportunities also. So kind of to speak to that, I would say one opportunity is the ability to impart knowledge from one profession to another directly rather than indirectly. And what I mean by that, again, is, you know, medicine, learning about pharmacy from pharmacy, you know, and learning about what a pharmacist does, not by hearing from their attending about how you work with the pharmacist, but actually getting to work with a pharmacist and vice versa, instead of us teaching, you know, our pharmacy students of, okay, so this is how you interact with a physician and this is how you make a recommendation, but them actually doing that and learning how to effectively interact with that other provider. Um, Because really that layered learning model, as much as it might decentralize you as the preceptor and the supervisor, and you may be doing less and delegating more, that means by delegating to those learners, you're allowing them to do more. So there's more on-hands activities, less shadowing that they're doing. And eventually, ideally in most situations, that leads to an increased confidence in that learner and hopefully also competence as well. That's such a great point. And I know a lot of clinicians and pharmacists and even interprofessionally, you feel uncomfortable letting that student or that resident go and and allowing them to be a little bit more independent, right? 
but it's so crucial to their learning. So just a couple months ago, it's hard to believe it's, it's already been that long. During the mid-year clinical meeting, you delivered a really good session about interprofessional education. And you also introduced us to the concept of defining the learner role learner roles. Now, I know you touched on that in, um, in previous responses, but I wanted you to dive in a little bit more about that. Can you share how it started, what it entails, and how did you define these roles for each of the learners within the, the team? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And I think it's a step that sometimes people skip. And I say that because it's a step that initially we skipped, <laughs> which is why we ended up having to go backwards and doing that due to some of the scenarios that I told you that we ran into at clinic of people just misusing and ineffectively using each other. Um, so once we realized that our sweet medical assistants, for example, our MAs, they didn't really understand what a, the difference was between a pharmacy student and a pharmacy resident and me versus a medical student. And so they weren't even sure how to appropriately task things to everyone that's present. Um, so once we realized that we were running into situations like that, we kind of came together and developed a list of questions of things that we needed to do and understand um, of who these people were, what their baseline training was, what they were responsible for learning from that person, and what that person was responsible for learning from them. Um, while a lot of the attendings, the medical attendings and pharmacy attendings had a good sense of roles and responsibilities for everyone on the team, not all of them did, which was really interesting for me to learn because I kind of assumed that everyone knew the things that the rest of us knew, um, but not all of them did and not all of our residents did and our office staff. So we actually pulled together a group of a couple of our physician attendings, me representing pharmacy um, and actually some of our medical residents as well. So our chief residents from the medical team to talk through content in three different areas. So first off, we established what baseline training and expectations expectations were for each team member. So a medical student who shows up on day one should be able to, a PGY2 pharmacy resident who shows up on day one should be able to. That way we knew what everyone hypothetically in good situations would be bringing to the table and what they could ask that person to do and not hopefully get a wide-eyed stare <laughs> from them because they weren't sure what that was or how to do that. We also out outlined and identified what each team member could be expected to contribute to the patient care process. So what that person was responsible for, what is the role of a medical student in a patient encounter versus what is the role of a pharmacy student in a patient encounter? Because that was something that was confusing for everyone also is who does what in this process? And then lastly, what they needed to learn during their time at our institution. So what they bring to the table and what they're supposed to take away. And even the process of having that conversation, I think taught a lot of people, a lot of things about each other and really helped deepen the mutual respect that we had for each other and getting a better understanding of how each of us kind of fits into that uh, patient care workflow and to be able to better define how everyone can be used. So we have all of these resource guides now posted throughout the clinic and we provide them in orientation for our new students and residents. And so any team member can look at them at any point to determine, okay, who is this person? What is it that I can ask them to do and what can I learn from them and what do they need to be able to learn from me to help empower them to more effectively team with each other. That's great. Do you uh, have a system in place for updating that document or adjusting responsibilities based on how the flow is going and how has that worked so far? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we usually look at it, I would say, on close to an annual basis. And we've had to build new documents in the past because at first we had just PGY1 pharmacy residents. And then once we gained PGY2 residents, we realized, you know, we need to add distinguishing levels of autonomy in this document to be able to outline what the difference is between those two different levels of learners. So we do that from that main document. But we've also started more recently as we develop and expand and some of the services that we're doing out there, different workflow documents for different services that go into even more detail about for annual wellness visits, for example. We have a workflow document that shows, okay, so this is what the pharmacy student does for this visit. This is what the PGY2 resident does for this visit. This is where the medical resident plugs in. This is where the medical assistant helps out. Just so everyone understands for visits like that where there's so many moving pieces and requirements for things that have to be done and documented what each person individually is responsible for, which also helps empower them to engage in the visit in that way and also keeps them accountable for what they're supposed to be doing for that visit. Wow, that is fantastic. And it's such a great way to establish expectations for students and the learners and even colleagues too. So I I love that model and it helps with the patient ultimately too, feeling confident about the pieces. Yeah, and that is one piece that I don't think we understood what the benefit would be until we had that resource document is when you're running an orientation with a new pharmacy student, for example, being able to show them that document and telling them, listen, this is what we're telling everyone else that you're able to do day one when you walk in the door. So if you read this list and you see (laughs) something that's on there that you don't feel confident in, you've got a day, (laughs) you need to go home, you need to refresh on it because you're going to be asked how to teach a patient how to use an inhaler or, you know, do basic insulin education or, you know, look up a drug interaction and figure out how to accommodate for it. So making sure that they understand what their expectations are, um, that I think is really helpful for them and not just something that holds them accountable, but also something that makes them a little more confident because they have a better sense of what to expect from those interactions actions also. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I, we talked a lot about how that's impacted the learner, how that's impacted the patient. Can you tell us a little bit about how this model has impacted your practice? Because now, you know, everybody has their duck, ducks in a row, so to speak. So has that allowed you to, um, to make any changes to the way you practice or you interact with other professionals and households? Absolutely. So it it has had a big impact on me personally as a practitioner, in addition to the practice as well. Um, for me personally, I am a very type A person and I do things and I, yeah, surprise pharmacy. And I, I do things and I do them well. And that means that I expect others to do them well also. But what that means is I struggle sometimes with delegation because I have trust issues, right? Because I want things done well and want them done a certain way. And so the idea of um, really decentralizing my role in the process and kind of starting to task out different activities and responsibilities to um, students and resident learners honestly really stressed me out at the beginning because I worried that things were not going to go well or they wouldn't be effective or they would struggle and that would damage kind of pharmacy medicine relations at our practice because I'm really deeply protective of our culture and environment that we have there because it's so positive. And so that, that was hard for me. But once we kind of took those initial baby 
steps and started to do that. And I started to see how excited the students were and the residents were. And then I started to see how excited the medical residents were because instead of relying on just me to help them out, now they had additional boots on the ground to be able to help with that. I realized this is a really positive thing. So due to them now having increased access to pharmacy, because we've gone from one person with, you know, two or three learners who kind of follows them around. Now you're talking four to sometimes five separate people that are working with different providers and seeing patients. Medicine utilization of pharmacy has increased proportionally, like substantially. It's gone through the roof and in some ways almost disproportionately because now we're at a place where we're doing so much more for them, but we still can't keep up with the demand. <laughs> I mean, we've run into situations and it's been hilarious because I've literally watched medical residents arguing over which student they want to have a claim over for that day. <laughs> and then the one medical resident that doesn't get a student is really perturbed about it, which makes me feel great. <laughs> but also we can't, we can't have a dozen students in there simultaneously because then I, I really would fall apart. So but it's, it's a great thing of the more that we provide them, the more they want from us, because that means that they see value in it. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the neatest part of the whole process has been seeing our medical residents now express a desire to say, when I graduate here, what I want to figure out is how to take one of you with me <laughs> in my new practice. And I'm like, that. yes, that is the goal is <laughs> for them to leave and want that model to follow them out into practice. Oh, such a, such a phenomenal feeling for you too, in creating these, these relationships and fostering them from the student level to the resident level, and then, you know, to, co to colleagues. Um, so your environment is in ambulatory care. And we also talked about how you kind of have had a, a positive relationship with colleagues to start with. Do you think this model can translate to other settings? And how how do you think others educators should go about finding the definitions for each learner and making some guardrails for who can do what and where should we step in versus out? So do you think this, this can kind of scale and expand outside of your setting? Absolutely. So when you think about the traditional layered learning model, really this began inpatient with medicine. And it's the model that they followed for a very long time. And it's really just now being translated to outpatient settings and into pharmacy. So absolutely, really in any setting where you have multiple people that are present at multiple levels of training, or um, maybe they're even at the same level of training, but they're within different areas of healthcare and the different parts of the workforce, there's opportunities to layer them together. So it can be really, really effective. As far as finding definitions and kind of putting up those guardrails for each learner, though, you want to work within your profession, but also outside of your profession to set up not just the definitions, but also the boundaries, because you want to make sure that whatever boundaries you set are things that both your team and the rest of the people on your team are comfortable with. So not just pharmacy, but also medicine, because they're going to be at some level also co-supervising some of these learners. And you don't want to tell a student, oh yeah, you can do this. And then your colleague in medicine say, no, you can't. <laughs> 
So you, it really needs to be shared decision making. It makes that process so much more effective and creates so much more buy-in from the providers. And you also don't want to make uninformed decisions because I remember in one of our initial conversations, one of the physicians was like, "Oh, so the pharmacy student, you know, can do this, but of course they can't do that." And I had to speak up and say, "Oh, no, they." absolutely can do that. And had, had we just kind of gone by their initial assumptions, they would have been a little more limited in some of the things initially that they could be able to do. So it kind of helps them also learn through the process and maybe overcome some unrecognized bias that they might have. Really. And, and taking, you know, the practice to the top of your license and to the top of your ability for students and learners, I think that's Mm -hmm. important to define. So what words of, of advice would you have for preceptors and practitioners struggling to fold their learners into the learning experience within the interprofessional setting? Now, I know you said, um, can I, your, your environment was welcoming to learners and welcoming to pharmacy, uh, but what about those that maybe are having a little bit of a harder time? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, sometimes it's hard when you're approaching it from a global perspective for it to not be overwhelming, especially if your practice is struggling with overall very broad terms of what students can and can't do at a specific practice. You might get some initial pushback. Um, What I would suggest in those types of instances is try to start on a smaller scale and then eventually scale up from there. So pick a single service or activity or appointment type to start with is kind of your initial area. So for example, um, annual wellness visits is a good example. So you can essentially lay out what are all the steps that make up this visit or this activity. Okay, so we have, you know, this step, we have these assessments, we have these questionnaires, we have this counseling that has to be done, we have this paperwork that has to be filled out. And a lot of that, honestly, when you talk to your colleagues in medicine, they hate doing annual wellness visits for a reason because of all of these steps. (laughs) And so if you can find things that they don't want to do or that take them a lot of time and they're not an effective or efficient use of their time, but it is something that pharmacy can be really good at, that is low hanging fruit and say, listen, we can do this and we can do that. And then you're not trying to take things away from them that they want to still get to do. You're showing them how they can be freed up to do more of those things that are what they really went into medicine to do, which is not necessarily to do a fall risk score or a geriatric depression scale you know, <laughs> or to counsel on a patient's medication list or, or things like that. There, there's much better ways that they can use their time and free them up just cognitively so that they're not so busy with paperwork all day. So breaking down those steps within that visitor activity, then listing out who you have available. So maybe at your practice, you don't have pharmacy residents, but you do have maybe fourth year students and IPPE students. So what staff do you have available? And then really go through the process of figuring out what you can offload from those that are at the top of the training scale. So attending physicians, other providers, residents to those below them to free them up to not really have to deal with that work. And then identifying again, those tasks that are in the wheelhouse of those lower level learners. So really just like if you're starting a new pharmacy service at a clinic, look for things that other people don't wanna do and (laughs) offer offer to do that for them. And it's very easy to get by when you take that approach. And once you do that for that one visit type, then it's much easier 
to have the conversation of, okay, well, what about this visit type, or maybe just an established patient visit, or maybe a transitional care management service, or, and then once you start to notice these themes and commonalities, it becomes a little bit easier to make global definitions. Definitely. I, I love that approach. And um, I know that, that we can talk about this all day, but we are coming up to our time. So I just, are there any other thoughts or resources that you have found helpful? I know many of our listeners are likely taking copious notes and might be interested in knowing um, what kind of resources, what kind of references could they go to when they're trying to implement the layered learning model with the interprofessional spin? Sure. So there's definitely some great articles and um, different texts that have been published out there on layered learning and layered learning and pharmacy specific, a lot of which actually have been published in AJPE. So I'd encourage people to do that initial background work, but also recognize the inherent limitations of an approach that's been designed for a specific health system. And that may not match your organization or your medical practice or the type of providers that you have and kind of how they feel or don't feel about pharmacy. So for me personally, outside of those print resources, one of the best resources that I have found are people. So people who you can share experiences with, ask questions to, learn from, those live resources to me are just immeasurably more valuable than anything else because it's it's really great to learn from other people's experiences, especially those that are at similar or dissimilar practices from you. Um, For me, the best place to find that has been networking through ASHP in my section, which is the section of ambulatory care practitioners. There's so many different ways to do that through ASHP Connect. I've had so many great connections um, and conversations through that platform, networking sessions at meetings also, and getting involved in section advisory groups within the section as well. That has provided a great opportunity to deepen relationships with providers across the country that do exactly what I do. And I've gotten so many great ideas and suggestions and learning opportunities from them that um, are just immeasurably valuable. Thank you so much, Jessica. And just to put a plug for our new section of pharmacy educators as well, that's another another way you can connect and really make that networking opportunity with those live resources. I love how you frame that. Uh, This has been so enlightening today. I really appreciate all your time. And I'm sure everyone uh, listening in hopefully got some good nuggets of advice for implementing their models within their practice and their precepting styles. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out the ASHP Educator Resources and ASHP's Preceptor Toolkit Research Resource Center and ASHP Connect, as Jessica said, to connect with other colleagues that are struggling with the same issues you may. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Educator Essentials, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.